Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. Uh, we have a special episode this week that we recorded live last week at Bleacher Report's New York City headquarters. I spoke with Bleacher Report Chief Content Officer Sam Tolls about how BR is finding the sweet spot between sports and pop culture, its shift to emphasize longer video programming, and how it greenlights new shows. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, thank you for coming, everyone. I uh, really appreciate you turning out on a Monday night. Um, and thank you to Bleacher Report for hosting us. It's a wonderful office. This uh, gives everyone here from Digiday office goals someday have something <laughs> like this. We got a ways to go. We are going to do this live recording of the Digiday podcast. Um, and I'm luckily joined by Sam Tolls. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Sam is the chief uh, content officer at Bleacher Report. Sam, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes. Okay, so Sam, you've now been at Bleacher for almost a year. Yeah, about 10, 10 and a half months. What, what attracted you to the brand? Um, as I was thinking about leaving MGM, um, the CEO that hired me there left under strange circumstances. And so when Ooh. my contract was coming up, um, I started to explore my options. And, um, you know, it's really great job market, especially if you're a content person, like there's tons and tons of opportunities. Um, and I happened to get a call from a recruiter and I knew of Bleach Report um, and the role seemed interesting, but comparing it to sort of what I had done and what I thought my career trajectory was, I wasn't fully sold, especially, you know, the publishing world has been a little bit rocky. And um, the more I learned about the brand, I met Dave, the founder, I met Howard, our new CEO, or not that was new at the time, uh, CEO, um, and the team. And every conversation I had and every time I dove into and thought about this brand, it became an obsession of mine to actually start to work here. It, 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 it is something that, for me, as I look at the media landscape, um, embodies all of the things that I think next generation media companies have to have. Um, engaged, deep, passionate audience, um, an audience that is predominantly under 35 years of age. I think 70% of our social audience is under the age of 35, um, at scale, but with that depth of engagement connected to a fully vertically integrated media enterprise so that you have no ceiling to the ambitions as you develop content. Um, you can literally ladder it up into uh, a division like HBO or CNN. Um, if the idea is good enough and big enough, it has no ceiling as far as making an impact on audience. Um, and the nature of sports being unique in the sense that you know, I think media now is all about tribal audience. People are self-selecting. The difference between, you know, traditional linear media was the goal of collecting a wide amorphous audience of general consumers has now sort of been replaced by this universe of social where anyone in this audience or anyone listening to this has their feed, whether Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And that feed is extremely personalized to your very specific interests and passions. And, you know, sports is unique in the sense that not only is it deeply, deeply tribal in the sense that people care very, very much about it, but it also has the breadth of audience that gives it scale. And so thinking about all of those unique assets really, really inspired me to move across the country and 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 join BR as their CCO. Yeah. So 
let's talk about the tribal element. I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. So I'm definitely part of this strange tribe. Um, and I do think sports are an interesting glue that, that connects people in communities. How does that then manifest itself in the brands that now make up BR? Are you saying the portfolio brands, yeah. for example? Yeah. So look, the interesting thing is that we, as we started as a company, you know, our founder's premise was there's all of this information about sports and all these tribal audiences that care about sports, but there's nothing connecting those things together. And so through, you know, newsletters and alerts um, and, and ultimately our pivot and evolution into social, we've become really the experts. I mean, if you're an Eagles fan, they know what your favorite players are. They know sort of your, you know, what kind of kicks you like because of what you, what you, um, engage in. Uh, it's very, very much a part of you and it's sort of expressed in the, in the way our audience interfaces with the, with the platform. And so, um, through that, we've done more and more segmentation looking at, you know, the audience as a whole, but the things that they're passionate about. So, out of that, you see that um, we have specific verticals that deal sport by sport. Um, football being one of the most popular sports is no surprise. Very, very exciting to our audience. And so we have a dedicated gridiron channel that dives in um, to football specifically. People love sports betting. And we've built recently a BR betting channel that specifically talks about betting in the sports space. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. that because it's an exciting area. Um, kicks is the same way and music. Kicks, sneakers. Yes. yes. Sorry, for the, for layman's, uh, you know, the, the Nikes, the Adidas, you know, New Balance, whatever shoe your favorite athlete wears, it's become an entire tribe into itself. There are, you know, entire, Sites dedicated to unboxing shoes and people that anxiously wait, um, you know, for Nike's newest announcement. Uh, and that's very much related to sports because athletes, um, you know, are connected to their shoes and fans are connected to their mm -hmm. athletes. And it's a, uh, a so how do you use, I'm interested in, in how expansive the brand can be. I mean, cause, you know, going into, to sneakers, obviously, yes. I mean, athletes wear sneakers, but you're really talking about a different area. It's not sports; it's it's um it's fashion. You it's know, culture. It's culture. But I, so I'm wondering how far you you see being able to stretch the brand into these areas. Like, I mean, like the Serge Ibaka show. Sure. I mean, that's it's yes, he's an athlete. Um, fortunately, he played against the Sixers last year. But you know, that's that's it's a food show. Look, I think the interesting thing about sports in general is that it sort of the media version, the media side of sports is an outcropping of news, right? Like they gr grew up next to each other. So news and sports, um, you know, live desks, commentators talking about the topical events because sports is live and happening and iterative and you have to have coverage and uh, news in a similar sense. But if you think about sort of media and entertainment um, and how that has evolved, um, you know, the unscripted show of 2001 would not work today because there's the, the formulas and the, and the ways that those shows have been developed by talented creators is constantly trying to catch up with audience and audience interests and passion. And so when you think about what that means for sports and sort of how sports has been done, Look, I think ESPN's 30 for 30 is a terrific docu-series show. But even today, people talk about that as if it was the show. But it was 
10 plus years old, uh, that series. It was initially supposed to be 30 episodes. It's, you know, 100 plus episodes later, uh, past the 30. Um, and what I think hasn't been done or hasn't really been explored is the notion of how to tell stories around the world of sports in a different way. Mm -hmm. like, so like, what's an example? Um, well, think, think about our untold stories show, right? It's an interview show in its essence, right? We're bringing, um, football players that have really unique stories to tell and master Testafian, who's our, um, uh, was a, was a writer here and is now our on camera talent is interviewing them about things that they haven't necessarily told, um, the world. But instead of just sitting down at a desk, uh, we go into an immersive kind of storytelling environment. We've leaned into animation, which is something that uh, BR sort of became known for early with Game of Zones and the Champions and Gridiron Heights. Um, and we've taken that kind of storytelling to bring to life uh, for our audience a story that was not filmed, uh, might have been very personal or private about, um, you know, someone getting high before they went and got on the field, um, and why they did that, or, you know, the first big, you know, dinner that someone had, you know, with, uh, the, the, with the, with the owner of the team. Um, and so we bring that storytelling to life through animation, and it's a different kind of flavor that resonates with our younger audience. It's a simple example. Um, Battle Stations, which is our first pilot under my leadership, is in the gaming space. Um, that was simply, you know, imagining the world of, um, cribs, as uh, as it relates to people who are enthusiastic about gaming and connecting sports fans to the world of gaming. So you have De'Aaron Fox and our host, um, Sensor, getting together at his home. And so you see his home, but more importantly, you dive into his gaming setup. Um, you find out what he cares about, what controller he uses, what monitors he uses, what audio equipment he uses. So if you're a nerd about gaming and you're a nerd in that space, but you're also a sports fan who happens to love gaming and you're on our BR Gaming channel, you get to experience something kind of storytelling that you haven't seen in the sort mm -hmm. of traditional straight down the line sports uh, media landscape. So it sounds like the kinds of storytelling you're focused on is not sort of where BR began. I mean, it began like as like a, a, a collection of blogs, text. Sure. I mean, text, I think, is an incredibly valuable part of what we do. It's emotive. It's IP generating. You know, as um, obviously the, the world um, mourned today Kobe's death, we had an incredible piece by Mirren Fader um, about Gigi, their daughter, um, and her contributions and what that looks like. And, you know, she was 13 years old. That's very resonant with a lot of the audience that belongs on BR, who's curious about you know, the relationship that she had with her father and what that was like, um, what, you know, what her experience was growing up in a basketball family and how she matured into the wonderful young woman that she became um, and the relationship she had with her father. It's very relevant to our audience. And I think about the stories that we're leaning into now as vehicles to ladder up um, additional IP, whether they become audio podcasts, investigative journalism pieces that we can then take to a, you know, narrative um, closed-ended podcast series, or if it's something that's a, a bigger, broader story, could that become a docu-series? Could that become something, mm -hmm. you know, that would live in HBO Max in that new universe or belong on CNN uh, films? Right. And, and But you're thinking IP, not like posts. Uh, correct. I mean, I think that all of this um, 
is about expanding and raising the ceiling of what BR can be. Uh, you, you don't need a, a CCO that comes from the traditional media world. Uh, and when I say traditional, I mean the, the studio and platform world um, to continue just doing the expected. I mean, we want um, and expect to move up the value chain and continue mm -hmm. while doing that to keep connected with that audience that everybody in the um, in the traditional business really wants to reach that younger demographic. So one of the other parts is is that's changed is now part of Warner Media. So BR is big, but Warner Media is gigantic. <laughs> so like I, finding you know where do you guys fit in within that gigantic battle star? Look, I think that um, it is. A, I mean, AT and T, our corporate parent, is the ninth largest company in the world, and it gives us again that enormous ceiling of opportunity. That the way in which BR can grow um, is boundless in content. Uh, I think one of the things that we have that is unique is an audience um, that really loves and engages with our brands, whether they're our portfolio brands or with BR National as a whole, House of Highlights, um, and they love our flavor of storytelling. I think that the people that work on my team are some of the most talented storytellers. Digital, social is our native tongue, right? Like we are really experts to your point before about like what do we do really well? We can tell stories in short form video and slideshows and pictures and posts of that nature um, through feeds that connect to our audience and make them feel, um, you know, delighted, excited and, and, and engaged with uh, the world and culture of sports. And the opportunity within a company at the size of AT&T and WarnerMedia is to take that knowledge, that core, that base, and probably more importantly, the connectivity um, to that audience and transform it into different expressions of media. See what that looks like as a longer form show. See what that looks like as a, you know, podcast that plugs into our podcast mm -hmm. network at, uh, at WarnerMedia. So really leveraging um, that as well as helping connect our fans to games and to the linear broadcast, like making sure yeah. that people are, are using our app in, a, in an active way um, as they're watching a game on TNT or mm -hmm. TBS. But you want to make longer form programming. I mean, I have a passion for longer form yeah. programming. It's where I come from. And actually, one of the shows that um, I'm most proud of uh, that we did at Vimeo, High Maintenance, is is a part of the Warner Media family. It lives on HBO. And so I think that it is natural for us to have those ambitions, and, and we should lean into that. Okay. and But it's it's not solely to feed like HBO Max or any of the other streaming? Absolutely not. I mean, we've got... Um, Relationships with Twitter. We're doing uh, our live House of Highlights show with with them. Um, we're doing content with Facebook. Um, we're talking to all kinds of platforms and all kinds of different lengths and storytelling types. It's not just about HBO or CNN or even Netflix, Amazon. Um, it's about making sure that BR and our voice and our fans are reached across every touch point in media because young people don't you know, limit themselves to a cable bundle. 
they basically self-select uh, where they consume content. So many of them are, you know, flipping between their favorite creator or influencer on YouTube, um, then zipping over to perhaps HBO or perhaps Netflix and then Disney Plus. They're moving through an ecosystem of their own choosing, much like the social feeds that they engage in. I, one of the favorite things that um, uh, our, our head of House of Highlights shared with me just today was the fact that, you know, between the five days of All-Star Weekend that we were focused on that space, um, House of Highlights had 80 million views on YouTube alone. And if you stacked up all the minutes viewed, it would take 844 years. Um, that is the power of the platform that we control and, and, and our audience deeply, deeply engages in that in that platform. And so I think that that gives us license to expand as far as our ambitions allow us. So let's talk about House of Highlights a little bit. I had Omar, uh, the founder of House of Highlights, on podcast many years ago. And Omar left. He's now at ESPN. Um, and he was very, um, at least for several years, he was very tied up in the brand. I mean, you know, he was the one commenting, and it was, you know, there was inside jokes. It was all, you know... Omar was personality, and he was also became a star himself um, in front of the camera. Um, explain how you take the brand and sort of and move it beyond the the personality. Yeah, look, House of Highlights. I mean, first and foremost, I love Omar as a person. You know, he worked with me for eight of my ten and a half months. I think he's terrific and extremely talented. And you know, I think about my time at Vimeo and, and sort of the aha moment of like, there's a whole universe of really talented creators that live on platforms, whether they be YouTube or Twitter or Instagram. Omar is representative of that, right? It's the next generation of stars and talent that's being evolved um, in the world of social media. And so Omar's success and moving on to um, ESPN, I, I wish him the very best. I think he'll do fine. Um, you know, I think that House of Highlights was never about one person. Perhaps when we acquired the brand, um, when it was just an Instagram account, that might have been true. But I think about like comparing this year to last year, to going back to an earlier comment that we were talking about, you know, last year, 75% of our posts were related to basketball, and this year it's 40%. I also look at the fact that the brand, since Omar has left, continues to grow unabated on the same sort of trajectory it was before. And I think about mm -hmm. the entire stable of new talent that we are uh, both looking at and working with. Kids like the Broadcast Boys, who are now, you know, taking up the mantle that um, Omar founded um, and carrying it to the next um, to the next level and to the next generation. You know, I think it it just speaks to the power of this platform that it isn't one person, one talent, one voice, um, but it's a feeling, and that feeling and that emotional connection to the content is the product of not one on-camera talent or even. The host of on-camera talent, whether it be an Adam Lefko or a, or a Master or a Taylor Rooks, um, it really is the hard work of the people underneath them, supporting them, creating the content and the sensibility around the content um, that is then expressed uh, across all the touch points that we have um, and continues to engage and delight our audience. Yeah. And so that means diversifying from... Instagram. I mean, this is something that's been going on for, for a few years now. Um, 
talk a little bit. You talked a little bit about um, the YouTube um, sure. portion of it, but TikTok too. Love TikTok. Um, we, you know, in a matter of months, House of Highlights went from zero to over two million folks on TikTok, and the Is audience. That good? People are talking gigantic numbers on TikTok. It, well, look, it reminds me of when people would come on the podcast and talk about the four billion views they did on <laughs> Facebook, which yeah. turned out not to be four billion. Look, I mean. Not monetizing is an issue, and and you know we'll see where the platform goes. We know the Vine story; it came and it went, and it's all the wild, wild west, obviously, in in this in this world. But the thing I love about our TikTok audience is that you know we're a sports brand, and so much of the content that we touch talks to men. Um, TikTok is the reverse. Over 60% of our audience on TikTok is female. So they're getting exposure to um, the House of Highlights brand and, mm-hmm. and, and sports culture, uh, the things that matter to women consumers, young women consumers in a way that, uh, um, that we aren't touching as much on, say, YouTube or Instagram. And I think that's I have to really confess cool. I don't use TikTok. So tell me, is the content different there than like, you know, the sort of highlights content that I see on Instagram? It is, it is much more UGC. It is much more fun, you know, silly, I would say is my description of, of TikTok. It does not have, uh, it, if Instagram is purposeful, which is, you know, coming from the world that I come from, it's even more so, uh, you know, so, so much less planned, but, uh, but TikTok has its own sort of fun, unique, uh, flavor and vibe that's, um, you know, that again, the experts that program TikTok know it and do it very well. So how far do you think you can stretch the house of highlights brand? Like into what areas does it make sense? Well, I think that we're at the very beginning. Um, I think that you, we, they did last year, um, 67, um, pilots essentially, 67 concepts that were tested. Yeah. So we've done a number of explorations and I can say without, you know, making everybody's hair go on fire that several of those concepts are now being developed into projects. In fact, projects that are in front of buyers, both internal and external to the company right now. Um, so it is a incubation laboratory, um, that's moving up the, the chain. And ultimately I hope to see meaningful IP that has that house of highlights flavor and stamp, um, living you know, outside of the walls of YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, where House of Highlights is currently contained. Um, so let's talk about betting a little bit. I, I think I think one of our sort of mega trends for the year was was the year of sports betting, sort of overtaking sports media in some ways. I mean, we saw Barstool Sports uh, get acquired by a casino, um, and there's obviously a gigantic opportunity there. I mean, betting is been legalized in a few states, but it's clearly coming down the pike uh, much more broadly. I- explain the strategy you're taking when it when it comes to to legalize sports gambling. Well, look, I think that the ex- most exciting thing about sports betting is um, for a content person is that it is genuinely representative of white space um, because it was legalized recently. You know, it had been forbidden. I mean very niche and small kind of online portals would talk about it. But for a mainstream company like Bleacher Report um, inside of a larger company to be able to actually produce content and think about what the world of betting is, is brand new. To me, I think the opportunity and looking at the landscape and, and the approach that we've taken in our partnership with Caesars is that 
where others have kind of gone to a traditional, let's speak to the audience that exists today. Who are the sports bettors? What are they talking about? What are the things that they care about? And again, sort of to my earlier point of like sports being a, an outcropping of news and sort of being a, a less disrupted part of the media landscape, they've gone to a f fairly familiar playbook, which is commentators talking at each other about the dynamics of sports betting. You know, we have um, Chad Ochocinco in Vegas taking uh, a pair of priceless um, kicks and putting them above, hanging them above a shredder, and you know his fan. If uh, if they're, you know, if they truly are a fan of Chad, they'll they'll answer specific and um, in tricky questions. And if they answer those questions right, they'll get the shoes. And if they answer the questions wrong, the shoes will go in the shredder, and the audience will all gasp. And and that did happen. Uh, I think in one of the most recent episodes that aired. The point being, all of that is about teaching um, the audience that connects with BR, uh, the millennial audience, um, that sports betting is fun, um, it's interactive, and it's not something to be afraid of. I think that's the first step. Okay, so these are not like degenerate gamblers. No, no, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to create an environment to make people understand that betting isn't frightening. If you remember back yeah. when poker was I get of, confused by a lot of the terminology. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll very, admit it. it's very confusing. I don't right? know what minus 400 means. I, I loved playing poker before World Series of Poker or WPT. Um, but the simple act, and it was an act of content creation, of being able to show the hold cards, being able to put those two cards that the players have face down, right, um, opened up an explosion of interest in uh, uh, an activity that had been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years, in the beginning of playing cards, all of a sudden people understood it and understood it to be fun. Not just because you saw the hold cards, but because you saw people like Phil Ivey. You introduced the notion of characters, and then you introduced the notion of stakes. All of these are traditional storytelling elements. And so the first sort of hurdle is let's make betting less scary and less um, something that only certain people participate in, that the lingo is confusing, that people are not connected to. Let's make it accessible. And then the next step in that is how do we invite people in to actually participate in betting and take mm -hmm. those first steps and make bets? What does that look like? And how do we tell stories around that? Who are the characters in Las Vegas that, um, that that are the interesting Phil Ivies of the sports world. I, I love, you know, Kelly Stewart is one of the talent that we jumped on right away when we got that that uh, deal with Caesars. And and she tells me stories every time I go to Las Vegas about the crazy characters that she interacts with. I hope one day soon that we'll see that on screen and come, come to life mm -hmm. and that we'll develop formulas and formats that will, again, change the landscape of sports betting in the way that those poker shows mm. uh, changed uh, the landscape of poker betting. But the business model is is a familiar one of like the gambling services are are sponsors. It's not like you're not going to take bets. No, look, I I'm the content guy, so I don't <laughs> uh, I don't purport to, you know, you know, be the P&L expert at how we're going to monetize this business, but I do think like you think about 
again, the poker shows that were successful, they became brands themselves. There's chips and, you know, casino floor spaces and beverages and tournaments. And there's all kinds of monetization around the IP itself. People want to be associated with the show. I think for us, that's much more likely the kind of path that we mm -hmm. will take around right. uh, betting than like, you know, does that mean that we wouldn't partner? I mean, Caesars is a partner of ours and we're, we're finding ways to draw audience to their casinos and get people to see the fun and engagement of sports betting. Can that bring additional dollars? Um, of course it can. But I think for me as the content guy, it's all about what's the right. best story and how does my team go about telling those stories? Right. So the bet, if you will, is that the sports betting becomes much more of a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it, it sort of already is, but it becomes much more widespread. Correct. And I think it's really about what are the players that create the formats and the IP that ultimately gets people most deeply engaged and that IP becomes the most valuable in the space. And that's the game that uh, that we're playing. So final thing is the, explain the development process you undergo. Uh, development as far as like long, long form, short form? Yeah, yeah, long form. Okay. Um, so look, the development process, it, it's interesting as you come into a, a new company, like Bleacher Report has gone through many, many iterations and I inherited a quite a large team and there was a little bit of confusion. Like we did, we had a lot of different pieces, incredibly talented people, but maybe not positioned in the best way for success. So the first thing we had to do was figure out how we would unpack the content team as a whole and make it the most efficient and effective in their various mediums. And so when I think about, um, what's worked and what's been successful in the, in the, in the sort of traditional world for eons and eons. It's the notion of a network, um, that has a slate of space that it needs to program, right? Like, um, TBS has to program X number of hours a day with X amount of content and they have different profiles of audience that come during that, those time slots, et cetera, et cetera. And then studios such as my old employer at MGM, would say, you know, Mark Burnett, my old boss, would come in and say, I've got a show for you. And he'd go pitch the owner of that network. And the network would say, I like that show, but here, let's make a, a couple of changes. And, uh, and it would be, it would create a dialogue. And so that's sort of the process that we've instituted, although both the network and the studio live within BR. So we've hired Rachel Brill, who's an incredibly talented, um, you know, seasoned executive in the, uh, content creation space has made more hit shows than certainly I have. Um, and she is running the studio now. She has got a team underneath her who are taking ideas. And those ideas can come from anywhere in VR. I believe that the greatest idea is not, doesn't have to come from like the A-list showrunner, but you know, young people with the right sensibility can bring their ideas to the studio whenever they like. However, in order to make great IP, an idea must ultimately be developed. It must be formatted. You have to think about not what's just the first episode, but what is the 51st episode or the 101st episode, and why do people stay um, engaged? You know, so much of the conversations early was, you know, we can get Kevin Durant, and he'll come, and he'll do a thing. And I'll be like, yeah. that's great for episode <laughs> one. But what do we do on episode, you know, 57? The show itself has to have, you know, an essence and an excitement beyond just the guest 
for mm. that show. And so, so wait, so explain why this is a good idea to open it up then, because won't you get just get a lot of like one episode ideas? Absolutely, <laughs> but I think really ultimately it's about a process which we have of submitting ideas and 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 bringing those ideas to the appropriate members in the studio team. Some of them will be discarded right away as exactly that one episode wonders that we really can't develop. But there will be always that one idea. Um, and it's, it's the joy that I get in this job is watching the sparkle of, you know, one of our creative executives taking something going, that's interesting. What if we did this? And then another creative executive saying, Hey, we can add to it by doing this. So we, we have a, a team under Rachel that workshops these ideas, uh, the ones that actually rise to the level. And, uh, Ultimately, if those ideas can be developed, they're turned into decks and then sizzles, um, presented back to our own network, our programmers who have to fill the needs within BR, who always have a first look at everything that we do because we want to make sure that we protect our very best content for our own platform. Um, if they love the idea, we can create a pilot or we can create it to series. Um, I was so appreciative that you guys dove in and uh, were interested in our piloting program because I think it's unique. It takes um, what BR has, which is this massive audience, and we can actually, instead of taking a pilot, and you know, I remember at MGM we made a pilot of um, uh, Cagney and Lacey, and 20 people saw that pilot, and it cost a lot of money to make. Uh, Battle Stations... A million and a half people saw that pilot, and we got a ton of data insights, and we can use those data insights to either make more episodes or to shop that to a platform like uh, you know Netflix that's very data data hungry and would be interested in well audience response here. We should take this seriously. We have proof of concept and we have data. Uh, it's a unique concept in a supposedly data driven world. Um, that's. I hope this is a remake of Cagney and Lacey. Uh, it was, it was, <laughs> I don't think anyone out here even remembers. Cagney no, and no, Lacey. I know there was no, the no nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But look, I think the development process is something that we're still, you know, iterating on. Rachel just started a couple months ago. Um, but, but she's, uh, again, an incredible executive and I'm so thrilled to have her on the team, um, getting, teaching them the skills of her trade. And I think at the same time, I think of our long-term executives like, uh, Bennett Spector and Doug Bernstein, who runs House of Highlights, that are giving Rachel insights into how social works and how they connect with their audience and what works and doesn't and how, the BR sort of organic audience responds to things. And that's that interaction is unique um, to this company, and I think it's what will make us incredibly successful going forward. Okay, Sam, thank you so much. Thank you for the time. Thanks for listening to this week's Digiday podcast episode. We will be doing more of these live podcasts and you can uh, join us. If you become a Digiday Plus member, you get preferred access to these events. Digiday Plus members also get unlimited access to all of our content as well as our original research. You can get a 20% discount to Digiday Plus membership by using code podcast at checkout. Check it out. Check it out.